scripture today. If you would, uh, turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, I told you last week I was going to declare war on this stuff that I had, this congestion, and I have, and I've got enough steroids in me to either preach or play Major League Baseball. Um, but uh, either way, uh, I'm excited to dive in today. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. If you would stand in honor of God's word. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we want to pause today and, and pray for brothers and sisters around the world who um, are persecuted for their faith, pastors, church leaders, uh, everyday uh, churchgoers who uh, are under threat constantly because they have declared their faith in Jesus Christ. We pray your protection over them. We pray uh, for their success, that they would flourish in their mission. Uh, but God, I pray they would know what a difference they make in the world in bearing faithful witness to Christ. I pray, Lord, today that as we read your word and as we study it, we would learn from it, we'd change by it, and, uh, Lord, that we'd apply it to our lives. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they don't make them like they used to. Um, and uh, we say that. I think as you get older, there's some kind of rule where you have to say that, right? They don't make them like they used to. And uh, I think one or two of you probably said amen, and you don't even know what I'm talking about. You just know that's probably right. They probably don't. Whatever that is, uh, probably don't make it like they used to. Um, but uh, we could be talking about cars. We could be talking about washing machines. We could be talking about any number of things. Uh, we kind of have this mentality that the way things were is better. And we talk about the glory days and the good old days. And back in my day, we have all these phrases to, to kind of go back and reflect on, uh, in a nostalgic way, uh, back, in our, back in our day, back when things were the way that we were comfortable with. And, of course, sometimes that's true. Sometimes things uh, were better, uh, and then sometimes not so much, but we kind of have that mentality. Um, if that's true of us, I can assure you that first-century believers who were steeped in tradition uh, did not have uh, a culture like we have that's just so fast, so fastly grown. Th things are so much different today than they were uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and the world's just moving at, seems like, such a rapid pace. Hebrews is really going to draw out a sacred cow for his audience. He's going to start talking about Moses. Uh, he could not have picked a more revered name than Moses, and he's going to talk about Moses, and he's going to compare Moses with Jesus. Now, there are things that we like to compare, right? Uh, like uh, there's In-N-Out, and then there's Whataburger, right? Uh, and there's silly things that we like to compare. We all know that Whataburger's better uh, uh, because that's what the Bible teaches us. But, um, 
but no, we, we, uh, we, we believe, we have these silly debates. Uh, and then there's more serious conversations that we have, like the, the greatest generation, right? Uh, the, the generation that uh, worked through the Great Depression, who fought in World War II, and uh, highly esteemed, and we might uh, say that the, there's a sacredness to that. Okay, well, the, there wasn't any person, anybody that you could think of that carried more weight, gravitas, uh, who was more sacred than the name of Moses. And Hebrews is going to bring up Moses, and then he says this in verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. So his main point is that Jesus is greater. That, that is, of course, the, the point of this entire sermon series. But his main point here is that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's constantly comparing, he's constantly raising up things that uh, they held in high esteem. And then he says, that's great, but Jesus is greater. Greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than the law or the Torah, greater than Melchizedek or the Old Testament priest, greater than uh, the old sacrifices and the old covenant, the, and the new is better than the old. Like a laundry list, he just goes through first century Judaism and what they would highly esteem. And the biblical author just goes one by one saying that Jesus is greater. Now, he's not saying this in the sense that all of these other things are bad. Like he's against them. And this, these past couple of weeks, the, the God in his sovereignty worked everything out to, to form a perfect illustration for us this morning. Because the last few weeks, I've been in a conundrum many points along the way. One was when the Texas Rangers faced the Houston Astros. Okay? Now, Houston Astros, they're my, I know they're rivals. Uh, but they used to not be rivals. They used to just hardly ever play each other. And so I grew up, I, I love the Rangers, uh, but uh, Astros were number two. And so I've just cheered for both. But now, you know, I'm kind of glad the Rangers one don't have anything against the Astros. Uh, cheered for both of them. Yesterday, I went to a football game. Uh, UMHB played my alma mater, ETVU. And Folks, we were, we were behind enemy lines, let me just tell you, all right? And uh, I didn't really know if I wanted to cheer too much, but, uh, but we were there. And I'm not cheering for either team to fail. I'm cheering for both to succeed. Uh, but uh, that's kind of the situation that we have in the Bible. He's not saying, hey, Moses is bad. The Old Testament law is bad. All of these things are bad. He's not going against them. He's saying they're great. It's just that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything that you can compare him to angels, the Torah, Melchizedek, and certainly Moses. The point of this, what he brings us to is the end of verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts. So what are we supposed to do with the fact that Jesus is greater? What are we supposed to do with the fact that Jesus is the greatest? We're supposed to fix our thoughts on him. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, a little bit later on, he's going to say something very similar to this. In chapter 12, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But here's actually a different word. Uh, it's a different word that means to think carefully about something, and it carries the idea of making a decisive thought. You make a decisive decision. You take action based upon what you've been considering. Whatever you've been considering, whatever you've been meditating on, you take a decisive action on 
the foundation of that. And so a little bit later on in chapter 10, verse 24, in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and to good deeds. Consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. And so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to think strategically when we gather on Sunday mornings, we're to think strategically about how we might use our gifts, our abilities to stir up others around us to love and good works and then take decisive action. Make that a decisive choice in your life where you act on behalf of others. Here's an interesting one. It's the same word used in Luke 6.41 where Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and, here's the word, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? In other words, rather than being uh, hateful uh, of other people and judging other people because of their failures and their faults, why don't you carefully consider your own issues and get that right first? Okay, carefully consider what you're dealing with and get that right first. This is what Hebrews is drawing our attention to. Drawing our attention to Jesus and saying, look at him, consider him, notice him, discover him, make a decisive thought about him, come to a decision already. Come to a decision, not just be entertained by education about Jesus, right? We love to be entertained. We love to be educated and uh, for educational, uh, we love to be entertained with educational purposes. So we'll watch the History Channel, right? And you'll watch how they, uh, theories about how they built the pyramids, okay? You'll, You'll watch, and there's not a soul of you who watches that and then goes out in your backyard and then starts trying to build a pyramid, Right? We just watch because we don't need to know that. It's just interesting to us. It's intriguing to us. And a lot of times that's how we treat discipleship, where it's just intriguing, it's interesting, it's something that entertains us, but we don't feel like we need to put it into action. He's writing to an audience that struggles with the same thing. Later on he says, hey, we're still giving you milk when you need to be eating meat. You're still being taught. We're still teaching you elementary doctrines, and you need to be teaching others. You need to make progress. You need to be able to move to a point where you teach others about the doctrines of God. So today I want to walk through this. What do we think about when we see Jesus, when we consider Jesus? Notice what it says there, who shares in our heavenly calling. Who shares in our heavenly calling. Uh, So just as Christ has a heavenly calling, just as Jesus has a heavenly calling, we share, we partner with Christ in that heavenly calling. That does not mean that we are therefore just going to go to heaven one day. It doesn't mean that just one day you're going to go to heaven. That's true. But it means that just as Christ has this commission from heaven, so do we. We have this commission from heaven, and we're to go out with Christ in obedience to God's commission for our lives. So number one. We look at Jesus and we consider his mission, see his mission. It's a very interesting word here, a very interesting description of Jesus. Jesus is called our apostle and high priest. We said last week that this is the only book in the Bible that specifically says that Jesus is high priest. Uh, A lot of times it talks about different ways that he functions as high priest. This is the only place that calls him the high priest. This is also the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called an apostle. He's called our apostle. And it just simply means that he's the sent one. He's sent by the Father. Several places in the Bible talk about this. I'm just going to rattle off several of them. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. 
John 6, 29, Jesus answered, the word of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And finally, John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God, and I have not come on my own accord, but God has sent me. So Jesus was a man on a mission. He's a man on a mission. He's constantly on the move. He lived each day of his life, each breath, each heartbeat, each move was with purpose and passion and direction. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to fix our eyes on Christ. We're supposed to fix our thoughts on him. We're to consider him. Consider him to the point where we can take decisive action about him. Jesus was always on the move. Now, some of you want to say, okay, well, uh, maybe that's true, Jared, but Jesus took naps, amen? Amen. Uh, Jesus took some naps and praise God uh, that we have that example. And some of us were like, I follow that example of Jesus. Uh, Amen. I walk in righteousness because I go and take naps. But Jesus took naps because he was constantly pouring himself out from village to village. He would go into a place and he would just work himself to exhaustion and then he would go take a nap. We listen to me speak for 30 minutes, go eat fried chicken and say, I think I need to lay down, right? And that's just kind of sometimes our mentality. But no, Jesus took naps to recharge in order to pour himself out for the mission. We are to see his mission. We're to consider his mission. He's our apostle. He goes before us as our pioneer. And we are to join him in obedience and live a sent life. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. If you follow Christ, that means he's going to make you into someone who fishes for people, sons and daughters of God, to bring them into fellowship with God, to bring them to glory, as Christ was said to do in chapter 2. So we walk in obedience to Christ. We walk in faithfulness to Christ, which brings us to number 2, see his faithfulness. See his mission. See his faithfulness. Jesus is being held up for us as a model, a model of someone who's on mission, a model of someone who is faithful, And we're thankful for people in our lives that give us that inspiration, that give us a model, an example for us to follow. Lost someone in my family uh, this past week, Uh, my aunt Matt. I've uh, mentioned my dad many times in my sermons over the years, what an impact he had in my life. And and one of his uh, sisters passed away just this past week. Um, And as I think about her and as I think about her life, I think about She was an example. She was a model of someone who exhibited the kindness and embodied the love and the faithfulness of God. We want to be that for other people around us. We want to show the world what? The way, the truth, and the life of Christ. But he is our model, our model of faithfulness. Notice what it says in verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. That just simply means that Christ was completely reliable in carrying out his mission, that he was completely trustworthy in doing what God had called him to do. Jesus prayed in John 17, 4. He said, I have brought you glory on earth. How? By finishing the work you gave me to do. 
by finishing the work you gave me to do. He perfectly fulfilled the project that God had given him. God gave us a group project. You remember that from last week. God gave us this group project. We made a real mess of it, but then Jesus in his grace comes into this world. He takes the project upon himself, and insofar as you declare your allegiance and your commitment to Christ, he becomes your high priest and your leader, and he goes before us. Now, I want you to uh, turn over with me to Numbers chapter 12, if you would. Numbers chapter 12. We're going to see something pretty interesting. Um, Hebrews is kind of like Revelation. Revelation doesn't quote the Old Testament a lot, but it does allude to the Old Testament in just about every other verse. And Hebrews does that a lot. And what we're looking at today is actually an allusion back to Numbers chapter 12, specifically verses 6 through 8. I'm going to start reading at the beginning because this is a story. And Hebrews wants us to have this story operating in the back of our minds as we understand this point. And so in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And this is kind of like being called into the principal's office at this point. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there, were, when there was a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. So, so here's kind of the point. Hey, I, I speak... Uh, through prophets, and they see visions, they have dreams. Uh, There's a certain way, there's a a modus operandi, there's a way that God reveals himself to these prophets, but not Moses. It's not through visions, not through dreams. God basically brings them right on into his living room, and they speak face to face. He sees his form, the form of God. And this is how God interacts with Moses. And so that's what's going on when Moses goes to speak to the Lord. He's walking into his living room. They're having this conversation. And then he goes out and he, he lives in obedience to God. And he, he declares God's message. And he's basically saying, Miriam, Aaron, you really want to question Moses? You really think you've got a better angle than Moses does on what my will is? It's kind of like when you do go to a football game and someone's sitting like in the nosebleed sections. And they feel like they've got a better angle on what happened on the field than the referee who stood right there in front of it, right? They may not have even read the rule book, but they've got an opinion on what the referee is doing on the field, right? Okay, and so that's basically what Miriam and Aaron are doing. They are sitting back and they are casting judgment on Moses, and God brings them in and say, really, you really want to do this? And his anger burns against Miriam and Aaron. And the, the, the people in Hebrews, they're listening to this and they're saying, oh yeah, man, they were such a mess. How ridiculous that they would question Moses. This is Moses we're talking about. But be careful, this is all a setup. 
Hebrews is just leading us like lambs to the slaughter because we're th- we may be thinking that about Miriam and Aaron, but then he says, but you know something? Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. And, and are we questioning Christ? Are we questioning what he has revealed to us from God? We think we have a better way. Remember, this church, they are, they're struggling. That Perhaps they're coming out of Judaism. Perhaps they're tempted to go back. Or, and, and perhaps they're tempted to compromise their faith. And he's basically saying, are, are we going to question Christ that his way is better? Do we think we really have an angle on Jesus? All of this, in many ways, is set up. I'll give you another example. The story of the prodigal son, right? We love the story of the prodigal son, but a lot of times we miss the last ceiling point of the message. Okay, Jesus is telling the story. The son comes home. He hugs the father. Slay the fatted calf. Put a ring. Put a robe on him. This my son was lost and now he's found. And we say, yeah, yeah, rejoice, rejoice. But then there's the last part to the story. And it's the older brother. The older brother comes home and he sees that uh, all of this is happening. The older son sees all of this is happen, happening. And, and he's standing outside. And he is not happy by everything that has taken place. And the question is, Are we going to be like that older son and not receive people into God's kingdom with rejoicing and praise? And he leaves that question open in the prodigal son for the religious leaders in his day. Hebrews 3, I believe, is doing something very similar to this. He's opening the question, are we going to be like Miriam and Aaron? Are we going to question God's perfect apostle, high priest, and servant, Jesus Christ, who reveals God to us. Which brings us to number three. See his greatness. See his mission. See his faithfulness. Finally, see his greatness. See his greatness. Look down at chapter 3, verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a faithful servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. So he's basically saying there's no real comparison even between uh, Moses and Jesus. Just in the same way, there's no comparison between a house and the person who built the house. There's no comparison between a worker and the son in a house. That's the difference between Jesus and Moses. Jesus is the creator. He literally built the house. This is the house that Jesus built. And the looming question over all of this for all of us, is do you have greater insight than Jesus, who is God, on what the will of God is? Do you have greater insight than Jesus on what it means to live an abundant, fulfilling life? Do you have an angle on him? Do you know something he doesn't? Do you have a better perspective than Jesus does on what life is all about? What do you base your fundamental core beliefs on? Do you base them on your feelings? Do you base them on just what seems right to you? Do you base them on uh, some teacher or someone who speaks with authority? Do you base it on a philosophy or a philosopher? Do you base it on science? A lot of people say, hey, science is omnipotent. It tells us everything that we need to know about the world. No, science can tell us the way things are. It cannot tell us the way things ought to be. It cannot tell you the way you ought to live. Some say it doesn't matter, but such moral atrocities have happened in history over those who were morally apathetic. I want to turn over one more place, Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, and then we'll start landing the plane. Job chapter 38. I believe that Jesus can say this to each and every one of us. 
Job had all these horrific things happen to him, and he's trying to make sense of it. I think on this side of heaven, there's just a ton of stuff that we are never going to make sense of. There's just a ton of stuff that we're not going to have an answer, that we're just not going to be able to make sense of it. And so we rest in the wisdom of God. We rest in the goodness of God. But Job is trying to make sense of all this. He's had his friends who tried to come and, and help him out and weren't all that helpful. They, they were really helpful until they started opening their mouths and talking, and then things quickly deteriorated from there. But then Job 38, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans? With words, without knowledge, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimension. Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And he goes on and on and on for another full chapter. Asking question after question after question like, do you really think in the nosebleeds you've got a better look at it than the one who wrote the playbook and came up with the game? The one who built the house? You think you've got a better perspective than I do? This is what God is asking Job. This is what I believe Hebrews is bringing us to. What basis do you have to believe what you believe about your life and the way you are to live your life. Jesus, as our creator, has designed us for a purpose. He designed us to live a certain way, to function a certain way. Who are we to question God? I believe what I believe about life because of who Jesus is. That's, what I, that, that's why I believe as I do and why I live as I do because I believe that Jesus is God incarnate. I believe that the Bible, as the Bible teaches, he is the word of God, which means that he's the word made flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he vindicated himself as God's true son and king of kings and Lord of lords by raising from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. I believe he created everything. And so he's the best authority and really the only authority for us to base our lives on. And that's better than my feelings. That's better than what seems right to me. That's better than any philosophy of man which seems to be here today and, and goes out tomorrow. That's better than anything that science can offer us. Jesus is the one true son of God and I rest in him. Close with this. In light of all this, what should we do? Hold fast to our hope. The last line in our passage today, he says, if indeed says, we are God's house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hold fast to Christ. We sang a beautiful song earlier. Christ will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. What we should do in light of who Jesus is is hold fast on to Christ, to be confident in who Jesus is and what he has done, knowing that all other ground, as we sing, is sinking sand. There's nothing else that's going to deliver the joy, the peace that Christ offers us. I want to close by just asking this. I want you to take inventory of your life Okay, I just want you to pay attention to your life and the way that you live. 
I want you to ask yourself, are, are you living your life as one who's on mission, following after our apostle, one of faithfulness that, hey, if Christ has called me to do something, I'm just going to walk in simple faithfulness and obedience to him? Are you beholding the goodness of Christ but the faithfulness of Christ? Are you building your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Spare our heads and close our eyes. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that as we come to a time of response, that we would be moved to a point of decisive action. Perhaps there's things we've been putting off. I pray, Lord, in your Holy Spirit, you'd draw us to yourself and we'd respond. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and I just want to ask you, uh, Maybe there's something that you feel like God has called you to do or there, there's maybe a bad habit in your life. Maybe there's uh, something you've kind of left on the table and you haven't responded to. And maybe this morning you'd come to that point of decisive action. You, you realize, hey, I've been procrastinating, pushing this off, waiting for this day to come. And maybe today you would take decisive action on behalf of Christ. And maybe that's trusting in him. Maybe it's following through a baptism. Maybe it's joining the church. Or maybe it's just come kneeling at the altar and saying, God, I will commit to do that. Whatever that thing is you're calling me to do, I commit today to walk in obedience to you. But let's sing as we respond to the Lord. Oh,